0: You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtono.com.
1: Welcome to the Metal Dialogs.
2: Hello everybody, welcome to Nerd to Know Media here on NairToknomedia.com, Spotify, YouTube, Twitch, all that good stuff. We are everywhere, and of course you can reach out nerdonomedia at gmail.com or comment below or whatever. We are not hard to find. Um, We have so many great shows that, as it is, that I was hesitant about launching another one. However, once circumstances around this guest happened, I realized. From the Dark isn't going to do it. Going to have to do a metal podcast. Now look. I'm okay with that. But there's so many great metal podcasts from Ireland already. Metal Cell. You know, Carl's podcast. King Woe's Court. From the Depths. Uh, Dial M for Metal. Put the Metal on. Uh, cramium Titanium. There's, you're absolutely stocked for metal podcasts. And they're all great. I, I enjoy them. I've been on a bunch of them. I love being on them. A few I haven't been on. Um, look, hopefully be on them one day. But, um, you know, I, I didn't want to do my own metal podcast. The lads have it covered. However, I had to for this. And it got me thinking, well, what's a different way to do it? The metal dialogues. Well, instead of coming at it going, right, well, you know, we'll have this person in from the band to talk about what's going on. It's more kind of like, well, an overall topic of metal in general. You know, and, and this one sums up my mission statement for, for this podcast. Dr. Jeremy J. Swist at Metal Classicist. Follow me on Twitter. I checked out some of his stuff on heavymetalclassicist.com sorry, dot home dot blog. And it's great. He breaks down classics in metal through different lenses, through different periods, through different themes. So. Iron Maiden, Sabaton, a lot of um, folk metal, uh, a lot of power metal, loads of power metal, all kind of done through this lens, and some black metal as well through this lens. And if you guys don't know what classics is, it's the study of ancient Rome and ancient Greece. And that's my background. I spent way too much time studying classics in college, and it's very rare that you get that overlap. You know, you I count on two fingers the people... Who like metal and classics? In my experience, uh, one of which is, is still a very good friend of mine. However, if you're a, a, a Herrenda fan or an Odysse fan, you know you would have seen my own use of that in artwork or song titles or whatever. Or even, even the name Odysseus—that's that's a reference to the Odyssey. You know, um, so I had to jump on this opportunity to to interview this guy. Uh, I can honestly say it's one of the best interviews i've ever done one of the most exciting interviews i've ever done and one of the weirdest conversations i've ever had because i've never had an hour-long conversation with someone who knows so much about metal and so much about classics at the same time and he pretty much said the exact same thing and that's a huge honor for me um as well so you know i didn't want to do a metal podcast of my own but i am happy that's here now going forward will there be other shows maybe but all i can say now is check out this show it's absolutely rad. Um, I'm really happy that we got to do it. I'm really happy that to present it to you guys. Um, but look, subscribe. Or better again, email us. media at gmail.com with your ideas. If you're in a band, if you're a metalhead, cool, man. Let's, or, or women, of course. Um, you know, you're welcome. Everyone's welcome. Uh, email me. You want to come on the show? Cool. Let's set it up, you know. Um... That's what the Metal Dialogues is all about. It is about these great conversations about metal. And here is one coming up right now. Dr. Jeremy J. Swist, the metal classicist. Here we go on the Metal Dialogues. Alright everybody, welcome back to the show. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us here on the channel, of course, neartonomedia.com. I... I am very blown away uh, by having this, uh, this particular guest on uh, with me today. As you guys know, ancient history is, is kind of a, a love of mine. So it's my honor and privilege to have Dr. Jeremy J. Swist, the, the metalhead classicist, or heavy metal classicist himself. Welcome to the show, sir. It's a, it's a great honor. Hey, It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No worries, no worries. Um, I it's weird, right? Because like I have a lot of friends who are classicists and metalheads, but that kind of <laughs> that coming together is is less common than you would think. Um, surprisingly, you know, it's what 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 kind of got you into the well? First of all, how long have you been a metalhead, and what got you into that? And then we'll talk about how you ended up looking at classics. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I'm in my early 30s now, and I got into metal um, around the start of high school, so 2002, uh, 2003 thereabouts. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, I got into metal around the same time that I started taking Latin classes in high school. Right. Uh, and so, uh, from an early point, uh, kind of the two things coincided more closely than than for a lot of other people. Um, and, uh, you know, from time to time I saw how they combined, but it wasn't really until I, uh, got to grad school in classics that I started realizing that there's some potential here for, uh, research, uh, as I discovered that, uh, you know, it wasn't just a, an anomaly that some bands, you know, uh, like Iron Maiden or Manila Road or others, you know, uh started singing songs about ancient history and mythology. But, uh, you know, if you go on metal archives and you type in Rome or, Mm. you know, Achilles or, uh, Medusa, uh, into the, into the, the dance search, you'll get hundreds and thousands of songs, uh, that deal with all sorts of topics, uh, from antiquity, you know, battles, uh, and, uh, you know, philosophy and poetry and, uh, you know, all sorts of topics, uh, you know, from Greece and Rome and Egypt and Mesopotamia and all those traditions, uh, it's quite uh, quite rich. And so, uh, and I'm not the only person who does this, um, yeah. and I'm not the first, um, and uh, I want to make sure people know that, um, you know, the people who laid the groundwork for kind of the scholarly study of, you know, this phenomenon uh, were... Uh, Chris Fletcher at Louisiana, Sta- Louisiana State University and Osmond Umarhan at uh, the University of New Mexico. Um, they got really got the ball going on in this with, uh, they had a conference panel, uh, you know, uh, at one point, and then that became the basis for an edited volume uh, that they published last year called uh, Classical Antiquity and Heavy Metal Music. Mm. Um, it is quite excellent. It brings together uh, scholars from, you know, throughout North America and Europe, um, looking at different aspects of uh, <clears throat> heavy metal and the ancient world. So.
2: Uh, yeah, I definitely have to check that out, it seems like a pretty good read. One of the advantages of still being in colleges, I get access to, uh, to journals again, so I'll have to give that a read, it's uh, it, it's fun. But before we get into into that in a bit more depth, you said that you were um, a kid about the same age as, as myself, When I think we actually are very similar in age, but um, when we kind of got into metal, and that was an interesting time to be a metalhead in particular because, like, it was like the the rise of like new metal, mm-hmm. and then you had like the kind of gatekeeping in from like Limp Bizkit to like well uh, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, all that kind of stuff. And then it just goes darker and deeper. Was mm-hmm. was that your experience as well, or like because obviously I didn't start learning Latin until I was in college. I started it during my masters so I didn't go to college initially. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just ended up in classics. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit different there. So I was only kind of became aware of these teams and these tropes a lot later on. Um, so I guess my question is more kind of like, was your interest in one spurred by the other? And did that lead your path? Because like uh, um, black metal bands deal with it. Death metal bands deal with it. But like nine times out of ten, like it's parametal or heavy metal bands that kind of go this road, you know, and like Iron Maiden is is the prime example of it, but you have bands like Sabaton, that's the whole career as well. It's just these historical pieces. Mm. Um, Symphony X as well, the artwork for Symphony X, obviously, um, and the album, the Odyssey was unlike anything I heard before when I, when I got to check that out. So did that kind of influence your, your taste or was it just, you liked what you like and you just picked and choose what, um, what kind of, ding that bell for you um
1: I, so seriously so asking uh you know if if a metal band engages with antiquity does mm. that make me more likely to like it yeah uh, not necessarily um okay. you know uh my favorite you know my top 10 favorite bands are you know i think only one of them uh you know Manila Road has any music to do with antiquity. Um and they've done they put out quite a bit of it. Um mm. but besides that, uh, you know, I didn't really let that dictate my taste. Uh you know, I prioritized you know, whether the music sounded good to me. And uh you know when I was you know I did do the the new metal route around that time and uh you know eventually you know got into Slayer and it went from there. But
2: uh That's usually what happens. <laughs> you yeah. find Slayer and then it goes. Yeah deeper but
1: down. uh you know also very quickly, um I got into black metal, especially symphonic black metal, mm. um, because I was raised on classical music, yeah, um, and like my father's a pipe organist, and so like that was the stuff that I guess w- really resonated with me um the most um, so
0: um,
1: yeah uh it, for a long time, you know it was just more it seemed more of a novelty, you know when a band just happened to. Um, you know, sing about Greece or Rome. Um, and I liked it, like, you know, uh, one of my favorite bands is Aborum from Italy, and they have this song called Roma Divina Orps, uh, you know, about, you know, the, the it's a song about basically uh, the ancient Roman spirit, you know, uh, rising from the depths of hell uh, and overthrowing the Catholic church and reestablishing, you know, Roman glory and, in Italy and all of that and so it's just it's just a really cool song and I was like and I you know at the time I thought you know this is uh, I wish more bands did this but the thing is I just didn't I just wasn't uh, looking in the right places at the time um,
2: yeah <laughs> and obviously the internet has kind of like blown that up now as well where like mm-hmm. you, you know you can go to metal archives and you can type in whatever you want and be like any any genre you can think of any topic you can think of it's there mm-hmm. you know um, so that is pretty cool in and of itself. it's weird that's a weird like concept for me that that um that band because it's like catholic church is Rome (laughs) you know it's weird um but anyway that's a whole that's a whole other topic um but yeah look you have um you have a lot of work uh obviously the stuff that's up on uh, the website heavy metal classics uh classes.com uh the home.blog and um your research interests are pretty cool as well like outside just the music stuff um Imperial Greece and Roman historiography, histography. Um and then classic reception and heavy metal music. Why did why did you go and I have to ask this? Uh late antiquity. What draw what drew you to late antiquity over just sticking with uh the imperial period? Um,
1: probably because uh, you know, when I was, you know, studying classics in undergrad, um it uh it kind of popped out to me as this sort of novel thing that uh you know not as many classicists or ancient historians were interested in or working on. Right. Um so you know, when you think of classical Greece and Rome, you know, classical Greece is, you know, fifth century Athens roughly, uh, and classical Rome is, you know, around the, the first century BCE CE, around the Augustan age. Mm. Uh and then, you know late antiquity, you know, the later Roman Empire is sort of had traditionally been sort of maligned as this period of decline. And, you know, the literature is all derivative. Uh, and, uh, you know, the government had become, you know, uh, had suppressed, you know, free thought and all of that with, you know, with the with the rise of Christianity and everything. Mm. Uh, and, you know, those I think it's a lot of, I think Edward Gibbon had a lot to do with sort of uh and just the Enlightenment in general, um, had a lot to do with kind of entrenching those attitudes um toward, you know, the later Roman Empire, early Middle Ages. Um yeah. This concept of the dark ages and everything, and the fall of Rome was the fall of civilization and so uh,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah it, and, it, uh, it, so yeah. but it turns out that if you look uh, late antiquity is just a fascinating period because it's like it really sort of explodes the notion that there was this clean break between the ancient world and the medieval world. There was this period of you know transition where these kind of new ideas were coming in and interacting with old ideas and these new and interesting combinations. Um, I feel like it's a more, it's a very relevant period, because suddenly you have institutions like the Christian church, uh, you know, interacting with elements of pagan antiquity, um, sometimes in cooperative ways, sometimes in antagonist, antagonistic ways. Mm. Um, and so I got very really interested in kind of that period of transition, especially the fourth century, you know, which was the the century you know where we had Constantine and basically you know the church coming to power and uh, Christianization of the empire, yeah uh, and so within that period, um, I particularly became interested in the Roman Emperor Julian the apostate,
0: yeah uh, you
1: know as this emperor who you know he was in the house of Constantine and he came to the throne, and then suddenly he said, "Oh, by the way, I'm not Christian." Uh, we're going to try to bring paganism back and go back to the good old days of, of Roman glory and, you know, religion and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, we'll, this, this Christianity thing is just uh, is an aberration and it's uh, going to lead us down the wrong path. Uh, but one of the great what ifs of history because he only reigned for 18 months before he uh, uh, died in battle. Um, and then they went back to
2: uh, um, Christian they went back to christianity after that it's funny you meant it's funny you mentioned julian dupaste i actually um recently got a good book called the last pagan mm, yep. on uh on it just on my kindle randomly so i've been trying to catch up on um on some of the reading it's actually a very fairly decent book it's uh it's not long out as well so it's funny you, it's funny you mentioned that um but no, that's a fair point i think uh on that like you hit the nail on the head um city of god as well you know I think uh with St. Augustine a lot of that has still got to do with the derivative where that is just like I always refer to it as like a a disrap of like taking <laughs> fragments we have and then just kind of slapping them down. But um so yeah, when you're going into like antiquity, like where would it stop for you? Would it would it go into the barbarians with the when Rome was broken up with the Lombards or with the Goths and stuff like that? Or where would where would you see a clean break into it? Or as you said, is it just kind of a case where there is no clean break. It just changes and transforms into something else. Uh,
1: I mean, and that's, that's, that's the thing about late antiquity is its very existence, you know, uh, challenges our notion of, you know, these traditional periodizations. Mm. Uh, so, for instance, uh, there's so much disagreement over where late antiquity not only ends, but also begins. Right. Um, usually there's a bit more consensus on where it begins. Usually it's some, they draw the line somewhere in the third century, you know, they kind of use the, the, the period of anarchy uh, and just by, uh economic and political crises in the third century um, of the Roman empire as sort of this uh, trans this transitional period before you have the rise of, uh, you know, Diocletian and Constantine and the Tetrarchy and um, sort of a, a completely complete overhaul of uh, the Roman government to become a model that resembles more closely, um, you know, the kingdoms of the middle ages and and mm. those sorts of, you know, absolute governments if, with large bureaucracies and everything. Um, so, you know, so somewhere in the middle of the third century would probably be where it begins, where it ends uh, you know um, that depend, that also depends on, you know, where, it's not just a question of when, because, you know, the Western empire, yes, 476 is when, you know, the last Roman Roman emperor in the West was deposed. Uh, mm. Well, you know, it's not just like everything just stopped, you yeah. know? Yeah. The, the, Austro- the, the, sorry, the, the Goths were in charge, you know, for several decades. Uh, but, you know, a lot of things went, you know, for people in Italy, at least, you know, it was business as usual. Yeah. Um. And then, what really messed things up was actually the Gothic Wars, when uh, the Eastern Romans under Justinian, you know, came mm. over and uh, tried to take Italy back, and there was just all this back and forth, and that just sort of
2: uh, just completely wrecked the place. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's so, funny in that sense. It's funny in that sense. As I so, said, like,
1: you know, we could see late antiquity maybe ending in you know by the year uh, six hundred in the West, and that's right. not and that's kind of close to where you might say it ends in the East because, you know, I think a lot of people, including myself will uh, draw the line at uh, the Arab invasions yeah. in the East uh, in the seventh uh, century. Yeah. Um, but some people go as far as, you know, the eight um, hundreds,
0: hmm. you
1: know, sort of long view of late antiquity.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but again, it's just these periods are, are arbitrary. Um, yeah. You know, you, there's no, you know, sudden cataclysmic seismic shift, you know, that you can pin down on any particular year or something like that. It's um, funny, history, like, this history is a lot messier than that.
2: It's, it's funny. Like I always say to people, I think the one of the biggest problem with when people are looking at history in general, they kind of see it as you said, like delineated periods are like, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened. I always say it's kind of like a TV where you're mm-hmm. flicking around. And these things are happening at the same time, mm-hmm. and they're intersecting, and that's probably a better way to look at it. Because, like, even to our own time as well, like, you know, we're aware of what happened in the eighties, and stuff might come back into vogue. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're gone. We don't just forget about it and say we're not going back there to the seventies or whatever. And even with something like metal, like, you know, how often do we get like a black metal resurgence or a trash metal resurgence, and it turns into something new? So, yeah, I think that's a very good way to look at it. But um, I'm going to have to reassess my. My opinion on late antiquity because to be fair you know it's like the hellenistic period it's, it's a blank spot for me for the most part because i'm like yeah <laughs> you know i just don't look at it up, but that's pretty cool um okay so let's kind of get into the the meat and potatoes here of some of the work like on on your blog there's some really good pieces um i love the odyssey a friend of mine actually she's just like daryl listen i uh, i want to read classics where do I start and I'm like oh wow this is no one's asked me this in a while so here's a few things to go and I'm like obviously you know the the epic cycle a few bits from Rome and you know she's working her way through the Iliad now and I'm like well give a give a time the Odyssey is a much better read um and I think for everybody it's like one of the most accessible um, pieces to read because you know, I remember my uh, classic professor being like, Oh, the Iliad's a bit tough because it's kind of boring, uh, but the, the Odyssey is a thumping good read. His words, not mine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that, it 100% is out of all of them, and by them, I mean uh, classic themes of, of writing and even into like other stuff. Even the Simpsons have done episodes on the Odyssey. Why do you think the Odyssey is so relevant and prevalent today?
0: um
1: that, that's a uh, great question um i mean there's so much uh in that poem um you know all i can think of is you know certain reasons why it might be preferred to the iliad though i personally prefer the iliad um really you know, i think uh i think the iliad deals more with reality mm. you know um Fair. you know there's it know, there's a lot of kind of tough existential questions that are presented in that text that I that I feel just really resonate, Um, you know, questions of the nature of heroism on human mortality, um, Mm. one's duty to, you know, the collective, you know, versus, you know, their own self-interest, you know, what's our relationship to, uh, you know, to the to the gods, Um, you know, or, and just the world that the gods have control in the Iliad, you know, is not, they're not, you know, Abrahamic, the Abrahamic God, you know, they're Mm. not moral beings. They're these kind of selfish, violent, petulant, you know, very powerful beings that, you know, they play favorites, you know, with, with certain humans, but, you know, otherwise they just see this whole Trojan war thing as just this game, Mm. uh, you know, from that perspective and that sort of, you know, tells you that, you know, there's just, there's an inherent absurdity in us, you know, just killing each other over, you know, uh, things like honor and, or even, you know, uh, conquest and everything Um, because, you know, the gods can't die They can, they can bleed, they can get hurt, uh, but ultimately, you know, you know, this is just a game, you know, when they, when they battle each other or on the, on, you know, outside of Troy, you know, it's just, you know, uh, Ares or Athena will get a spear to the gut and then they'll pull it out. They'll, you know, it'll hurt, but you know, they'll, they'll live Um, for the humans fighting. You know, this is, you know, it's terminal um you know this is kind of what defines us um, yeah so you know i know we asked about the odyssey but you know i had to approach it no know, it's, it's it, no to be point fair. I, had, I, had to, I had i had to i had to do my piece on the iliad just to explain my own preference for it no it's um, fair it's fair and i think as some and you know uh you know i think the iliad also just has more resonance with uh you know with with certain genres
2: of metal uh, in that regard you know um, because it's just I think it's just darker. But see that's that's kind of what I'm getting at that's exactly what I'm getting at it's just like it's like for me my personal favorite of all of them is the Aeneid because I'm uh, you know I love Augustus right and it's it's proper just fan fiction uh, Augustus Augustus propaganda. So I like the way it's remixed and it's kind of has the best best of both for me but Mm -hmm. most people don't know that exists. Most people are aware of the Trojan War, but they probably haven't read it. But for some reason, the Odyssey just has this kind of overarching appeal that kind of dwarfs anything else. And I'm just kind of always taken back by that because going into the Iliad or whatever, as you said, it has those darker teams and the Odyssey kind of is just a, you know, a, a kind of a drunken, a drunken romp through the ancient world, you know. Um, but what, why, is, why do you think those teams aren't picked up in metal which is darker but you know Symphony X will go and do a you know <laughs> a concept album on on the Odyssey right? I mean you know the Iliad
1: and the Odyssey are certainly you know picked up by metal bands across the spectrum you know for, for all very good reasons. Um, mm. and I mean with the Odyssey uh you know, whereas the, you know, whereas the Iliad is sort of decentered, like, yes, it's about Achilles, but it's about so many other people, you know, and this is sort of a clash of armies and, 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 and the clash of the gods and everything. Whereas mm. the Odyssey, and I think the resonance of the Odyssey, especially for heavy metal, but certainly for others is, um, you know, the first word of the Odyssey is Andra, okay? The man, okay? The man yeah. it's, about a, it's about mostly about focuses on an individual Okay. And story revolves around him. So even when, you know, he's not actually in the narrative in certain parts of it, you know, it's everybody's talking about him. Yeah. Um, And, you know, one thing and, you know, uh, early on since, you know, classicists have been looking at this, uh, you know, um, this heavy metal and classics phenomenon have, you know, quickly picked up on the idea that, uh, heavy metal, especially power metal and traditional heavy metal, but other genres. Um, it's a fel- It's a form of escapism, you know, right. um, in which, uh, you know, which is often implies sort of uh, contempt for, or just uh, alienation from, or just a rejection of modernity. You know, industrialized capitalist uh, society. Uh, and they want to escape to some sort of romanticized past mm. and, um, you know whether it be a mythical past or a realm of fantasy uh, or um, you know fantasy literature specifically often uh, or you know ancient history um, and so um, the odyssey you know is certainly uh, provides that sort of fantastic adventure um, and I think there's just more elements of folk tale and of you know fantasy there, um, you know uh, Robert E. Howard you know type stuff or Tolkien mm. uh, sort of adventure where it's not just you know constant warfare.
2: So, um, so you think it's kind of in the same way that you know I suppose black metal bands traditionally would use Tolkien for example, where yeah. you know he's pretty much like the central pillar of that genre, uh, or even bands like a Amarth who are all about. All things Nordic mythology. You think that's why they use it because they can kind of have that realm of escapism Mm -hmm. without focusing purely on these big themes of, you know, humans as gods play things, basically, (laughs) or something like that, or the the folly of war. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so in addition to this escape or this, you know, seeking of this, you know, anti modernity here, Mm. uh, you know, another. Big focus is uh, masculinity. Okay? Right. Um, you know, and you see this in album covers like you know uh, Eternal Champion and Man of War uh, and others where you know they kind of idolize these 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 supermen, okay? yeah. these muscle bound sword wielding Conan the Barbarian figures,
2: the traditional uh, uh, Greek yeah. heroic.
1: Yeah. And so yeah. the, so a Greek hero like Odysseus, Achilles, um, uh, Heracles, etc., Aeneas even, um, you know, these, it's pretty easy to, you know, to shift to, uh, looking at that type of hero yes. um, as someone who, uh, you know, through strength of not just body, but also of mind, mm. uh, you know, uh, faces these challenges, um, you know, reclaims their homelands like Odysseus does Mm. uh, and also resists uh, temptations um, as sort of a way of proving their masculinity. And I think what one appeal of the Odyssey for a lot of heavy metal bands is it's not just a way to present a model of the ideal man, the ideal warrior that they want to embody in their music, Mm. Um, but also, there's several uh, feminine figures in yes. the Odyssey that you have much less of in the Iliad. Okay? Yeah. In the Iliad, you know, the women are basically, uh, you know, wives or mistresses or slave women um, yeah. who are rather passive um, and don't get a lot of airtime uh, mm. and they're really overshadowed um, by the men. Whereas in the Odyssey, you have very powerful women. Okay? Yep. Um, you know, Penelope is, uh, you know, a match for Odysseus in uh, her intelligence uh, and strategy uh, though in heavy metals, you, de- you tend not to see that side of her too much. She's more of the damsel in distress who has to be saved at the end. But... Which is
2: funny because she kind of saves herself in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. yeah. But, um, but you, in the Odyssey, you also have figures such as Circe, yep.
0: such
1: as Calypso, such mm. as the Sirens.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Um, and uh, as foils, as contrast to this hyper masculine hero, these are what I would call a uh, heavy metal femme fatale. Uh, I like
2: that. I so like that.
1: <laughs> they basically uh, they present women, powerful women as mm. dangerous and right. a threat to uh, the hero because they uh, threaten his, they, they essentially threaten his patriarchal dominion in some way. Um, right often through sexual temptation.
2: And yeah. Which is very much the case when he, when he's on the island. with with, with um,
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and so they, uh, you know, so for instance, in the Odyssey, you know, uh, when, and uh, when Odysseus, uh, you know, comes to Circe's island, uh, Hermes mm. shows up and is like, uh, before you go see Circe, uh, you have to, you know, take this charm so she doesn't turn you into a pig. And then uh, you have to draw your sword at her uh, and make her swear an oath that uh, you know, she'll do you no harm because she might emasculate you, okay? <laughs> uh, Because she represents that threat to, yeah. um, to male power okay, by being not just a powerful and magical sorceress, but also a fiercely independent woman, somebody who lives, exists outside of human society a, outside of the patriarchal civilization, mm. a, um, which is why a lot of these, why these witches and goddesses and monsters in the Odyssey are represent women. untamed civilization.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's so, that kind of it's that othering of different cultures. Yeah. and it's 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 funny that you mention it as well because like a lot of the, a lot of bands that would do that would be kind of you know criticized sometimes for having that that view but do you think it's 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 less of a case of they have that view and like they're just out, out going out of their way to put put that into their music or it's just like it's just part of who they are and they're reclaiming parts of this in this story that they're able to identify with based on where they're from
0: mm-hmm.
1: definitely um Yeah. And then, you know, the other aspect, uh, you know, that fuels a lot of this reception is, you know, uh, heritage, a, um, you know, so, you know, preponderance of Greek and Italian bands will, you know, um, be singing these songs, you know, because they, they feel that there's this national a connection, uh, to it. Um, Right. Um, but, you know, also just, you know, Bands in the Western world in general, you know, will also tap into this as kind of the cultural heritage of what they would call Western civilization. You know, this is, you know, uh, based on the literature of Greece and Rome, um, which is, you know, a concept that, you know, is, is, is now being rightly challenged, um, you know, because it can lead to kind of this idea of European chauvinism. Um, You know, we have the superior civilization and the superior literature because it's Mm. the classics, you know, as it's called. Um, But, you know, and that's, but that also is what makes these texts very attractive to these bands because they represent this uh, heritage that they feel is being uh, sidelined in the modern day um, due to the forces of globalism and multiculturalism, immigration, you know uh,
2: Marxism if what you will Um, well yeah like to to be fair I can I I can empathize with that like a lot of what I've done myself would come from that rejection of modernity in that sense you know and um, you know it it wasn't something intentional it's more just kind of like You know, instead of going for these wider topics and actually working in aesthetics are a big thing. And I do do see that a lot on black metal. Uh, Norgoroth do it as well and Marduk and stuff like that as well. Where it's just like you will use these aesthetics of the past to kind of draw for them or I use stuff in parallel. So yeah, I I, I actually 100% do get that. It kind of, it comes from that sense of, well, yeah, it's a classics and it's our Western It's our western civilization it's our kind of shared heritage and more kind of just going through and rediscovering it but the irish have done that for a while like in the even going back to um ulysses you know that's that all comes from the same tradition so i'm not not saying that that's what we're doing but we've always kind of done this you know every couple of hundred years it it cycles itself back where you're like right let's look back to look for even livy you know, that's why he wrote his history of Rome because he hated his current time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, and yeah, you see this a lot. Um, you know, uh, you know, Livy is part of, you know, the Augustine project of, you know, uh, going back to good old fashioned Roman values. You know, yep. uh, this is how we were when Rome was founded and this is how we should be again. Um, you know, dare I say, you know, he had the message of, you know, make Rome great again, you know,
0: <laughs> But, yeah. uh, um,
1: you know, and Livy certainly had his own, you know, independent ideas. And he wasn't just, it wasn't just Augustan propaganda, but he certainly wrote, you know, his history, you know, uh, in order to express definitely plenty of distaste for the present because he began writing the thing, you know, when the civil wars were still, you know, smoldering yeah. um, and, you know, he didn't finish it until, you know, a little after Augustus died, but, you know, it took a while. Um, And the thing I want to make clear here, though, is, you know, heavy metal and it's kind of just fundamental rejection of modernity, you know, does not necessarily imply any sort of political ideology on either side of the spectrum, you know, because people on the right and people on the left and, um, you know, reject, you know, uh, aspects of, you know, contemporary society you know, just as mm-hmm. much. Um, and so sure. that's yeah. why I, I see heavy metal as, you know, yes, it's political, but it is, you know, it is not inherently left or right. It is simply, it's simply a way to, uh, oppose or challenge or rebel against some aspect of society. Yeah. Okay? Um, you know, whether and whatever direction you take that rejection, um, is, you know, is further along. And that is something that you add to it, but it's not something that is inherent to metal, you know, right wing, left wing, et cetera. Um, despite what might, what, despite what, you know, some people might say these days, you know, when we have the rise of, um, you know, red anarchist, uh, or, you know, uh, left wing black metal bands, for instance, you mm-hmm. know, there's been a lot, you know, those are rising in, in in popularity and there's been a lot of resistance to that by people within the metal scene because they're like, oh, you know, politics doesn't belong in metal or or, or that, or, you know, metal is fundamental, especially black metal and, and that stuff is, you know, this it's is- It's above it. It's yeah, above it. It, you know, black metal is supposed to be this elitist, you know, misanthropic, Uh, you know uh, and just conservative uh, genre where we're supposed to go back to you know the old pagan ways uh, uh, and you can and of course that can lead them down the path ideologically toward fascism and and all forms of which you Um, know which to be fair yeah yeah.
2: look it's 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 a thing that if we didn't talk about it it would be remiss to talk about it but you know I would say as somebody who is a center libertarian in lots of ways for me I'm like and most of the lads in the band are the same in the Irish metal scene you know which is my direct connection to this I know communists I know people who would be called other things you know satanists whatever and we don't care (laughs) we're like hey man you know what's your tune like what's your what's your riff like you know what I mean and that's what's great about metal I think it it does get the reputation of being elitist but it's also very inclusive in that sense you know like it's it's like oh well you're judged more about the music you like rather than who you are (laughs) you know it's just like wait what do you mean you like that (sighs) you know and that's kind of the gatekeeping thing that's that's the old joke you know but yeah it unpacking this kind of stuff comes with um with that danger but I don't know. I with the classics, even learning it as well, I'm amazed there isn't that crossover because, like, you go in and you know we're all we're all nerds, so it is what it is. But <laughs> you know, when you're in there and you would be, you meet a lot of people who would maybe do a couple of modules in classics, and they would probably be in an, into metal as well. And w- when you kind of dig in, you're like, how are you not more connected to this? Why is it not? And I, I don't know if what's like in the states or in Canada, but in Ireland, it's it's very much like once you find it it's like this great secret you know what i mean it's almost like you're discovering metal for the first time and that's kind of what it was like for me where i'm just like i went to college found this kind of stuff and i was like oh wow well, this is great and it was like discovering slayer for the first time mm-hmm. what's it like over there for for you guys is it is, is it open is there like an open market for it or is it kind of like it's all little you know you're walking into a metal club <laughs> so, yeah uh, and certainly uh you know as i've been
1: doing this stuff for a while, you know, living in these two worlds that are now coming closer together for me all the time. Uh, Mm. seeing these just sort of striking parallels between, uh, the culture of classics, um, you know, which is not just the academic discipline, but also just, you know, um, how people in society engage with it. Um, and, uh, but also, you know, and the parallels with heavy metal. So for instance, uh, I need to write this sometime, you know, comparing uh, an academic conference to a heavy metal festival.
2: <laughs> I can see a lot I, of parallels. I really can. You know, can. Yeah. Because,
1: you know you're, it's, a, it's a space where like-minded people who have a shared knowledge of the scene slash fields, which both have a canon of works. So we mm. have a canon of classical literature, and then we have, you know, a canon of bands that you know people in the scene are expected to at least know about okay? right um and then in both fields you know there is these sort of practices of gatekeeping where you yep. know you have the elitists or the know-it-alls who you know only interact with the people who you know really know their stuff and uh there's also you know um you know the usual you know there's there's just there's sexism and racism that enforces you know these sort of hierarchies that form mm. uh, as well, and I think both classics and metal as fields slash scenes are having that sort of introspection in order to make themselves more inclusive and sort of uh deconstructs these sort of hierarchies which is good
2: um, you know it, it's good it's absolutely. good. I've yeah. seen, I've seen, I've seen that kind of happen now. Obviously, I'm not in the classic scene as much, but anyone who I've talked to who still is in it, well, would be kind of saying the same thing. And particularly in metal as well, you've seen a lot more um, things which you've never would see normally. You know, um, which are becoming more normal, which is great. Like a lot more female bands, a lot more women getting into the scene, and you know, just performing, which is always great to see. Because you're like, why wasn't this happening before? And as you said, it's because of the gatekeeping. The sexism, all that kind of stuff, as well, and luckily that's all kind of gone away. Um, but on that point, I do kind of want to switch gears into one more topic, which I have to talk about before because right. I'm just conscious of the time. Um, Greek tragedy, right <laughs> now. Rome is my my thing, right? I love Rome, but I am kind of obsessed with *Oedipus Rex*, right? Mm-hmm. As far as like, <laughs> we're doing a music video at the moment. And literally there, I don't know if you've seen the BBC production, the 1957 production of Oedipus Rex with the weird masks, like the crazy elongated masks. I'm familiar.
1: I've seen the pictures, but I haven't seen the the production.
2: It's good. It's very good. And I'm like, Hey, uh, what I've mainly use classics nowadays for is, Hey guys, I have ideas for either song titles or aesthetics. (laughs) That's what my classic education gets me nowadays. But, um, you know so I do have kind of a low-key obsession with that right Mm -hmm. uh so when I saw that you had done a series on Greek drama and tragedy how common is that and what basically why is it not more kind of uh, dug into because it is such a important thing like we all for the most people know the stories or at least know some of the characters in them they might not know why they know them but they know them um and what I was struck by was how limited it was, how small the scope was. Cause I would imagine like, you know, it, it's ample ground for Gothic metal for depressive suicidal black metal and like dungeon metal. Like it's, it's designed for that. Right. But why is it such a limited window? And what was your experience kind of going through each of the, like the three biggies to kind of make yeah. those articles? <laughs> yeah. The, the three biggies, Aeschylus, Sophocles, Euripides, right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, that's a great thing to talk about, which I don't really address um, in in those uh, in those pieces. Um, you know, there is a very limited reception of Greek tragedy um, in heavy metal. Um, there are some prominent things like, for instance, you know, Virgin Steel's House of Atreus uh, al- uh, double album mm. you know, from Aeschylus's Oresteia, yep. uh, you know, is one of the, you know, landmark uh, foundational uh it was one of the first just concept albums that adapted classical literature you know entirely before that you had kind of one-off songs you know like Light of Icarus and all that yeah um so you know there's that but it didn't and that's that perhaps set the trend for you know adapting classical literature to to whole albums but um yeah um you don't really see a lot of um tragedies adapted that way um you you bring up gothic metal and so uh you know which where there is more of and gothic metal symphonic metal and combinations thereof you know those are genres where you have um you more often have uh women uh, musicians and vocalists, and, and, songwriters and that's why I think it'd be. And, perfect. and so that's yeah. why, for instance, with Euripides, you have uh,
2: songs about Medea and the, and the play of the Medea. That's um, it. The, oh, and like again, like you know, I remember a lot of women in my in my class would always go to Medea. It's a very uh, obviously it's a, it's a very female centric thing, but it just seems to resonate very actually, pretty much in the same way that, like, as you said, the manly. A disuse thing yeah. resonates with men. Medea seems to do the exact same thing for women.
1: Absolutely. And she's definitely one of the most popular uh, women figures in, in, in the classical world, uh, you know, adapted into heavy metal because, you know, she personifies, you know, just this feminine rage against, you know, uh, being wronged. Her- Mm. patriarchal oppression and all of that yeah Uh, that sort of leads to i think the reason why there's so little reception of tragedy is um it has to do with the genre of tragedy itself right epic literature you know iliad odyssey aeneid um you know you have uh all of these grand battles and just uh world-changing events uh you have just uh heroic journeys, Uh, you have, uh, you know, God's uh, divine intervention, and you have all of this, uh, all these grand narratives, whereas a tragedy, you know, if we go by Aristotle here, he says, you know, proper tragedy has to take place within a single day. It has to take place in one spot usually. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And uh, so it's a very limited uh, kind of story in, and it's a story that rather than addressing great battles and and quests mm. um, it takes place in a city or even within a household okay? and it deals with issues that are more have to do rather with individual families um, and also these are uh, stories in which women figure more prominently, yeah. like Clytemnestra, like Antigone, like Medea, like Phaedra, um, et cetera. Mm. So these are very compelling characters to write about. And, you know, as you saw in those pieces, uh, you know, there are songs, there are bands that write about Antigone and Clytemnestra and certainly Medea and others. um, And they do a great job with that, but you just, um, but not a lot of bands pick up on that partly because there's probably you know, there's still not as much, uh, you know, uh, feminine representation in metal uh,
2: to kind of pick up on those stories. But do, um, do, you, do you think as well that like going forward, um, it will kind of be like, uh, I, 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 all I can think is like the, the dam breaking, you know, where you're kind of you're digging down and you're hitting these layers and you kind of like even now, like when I was trying to explain to people who aren't into metal. Um, that there's a genre of metal for everything, literally. Uh, You know, and like, no way, what do you mean? I'm like, if you name it, there's probably a genre that's about it, Um, and I think this becoming more common, and again, I was only like, it never intersected really with me as much until I started digging into it and reading the work, I'm like, wow, this is beyond just what even I was exposed to as both someone in a band and a classicist and a metalhead even for me it's like oh wow there is this whole other side of things so i think if more bands kind of dig into it do you think they will kind of get down somewhere even as obscure as like seven against thieves or something like that where they start writing songs about that do you think that's where we're going or will it be kind of what we see with um you know a monomart where it's like or even you know it's things happened with irish mythology as well like very few bands are starting to do it but more bands and even some of the lads that i know you know we're all starting to kind of work that in because it hasn't been done before. Do you think that's where we're going or is this kind of being phased out?
1: Um, That's a great question. And I think the thing to keep in mind is um, there is a strong correlation between the uh, rise in this phenomenon of what I'd call heavy metal classicism Mm. and the resurgence of interest in antiquity in the greater pop culture.
2: Okay, Okay, right.
1: So in other words, um, you know, you have just, uh, you know, a few dozen songs, okay, uh, Mm. you know, from the 80s and even fewer from the 90s, you know, uh, dealing with this topic. Partly because, you know, uh, just the changes in the genre of metal, you know, kind of the ups and downs, but past 2000, this is when things really start to take off with bands suddenly becoming interested in the classics. Mm. Um, And I think there's a strong correlation between that and the premiere of movies such as Gladiator, Mm. such as Troy, such as 300. Yeah. Uh, And Kingdom of Heaven for, you know, the the medieval reception, Mm. uh, Alexander. um, And um, so I think they sort of took their cues from pop culture uh, and and worked with that. Um, And I think there's, and metal, I think, has done that, you know, since the beginning. Yeah. So Black Sabbath, for instance, they named their band after a 60s horror Horror movie. movie. And they Mm -hmm. essentially created music that sort of... uh, was an extension of that aesthetic of sort of hammer horror films. Mm. Uh, And, you know, and I think just, um, and then in the eighties you had movies like clash the Titans uh, and then you had people, you know, he's inspired by these sword and sandal flicks from then uh, taking them and writing songs about it. And so, uh, when the classics kind of resurged on the silver screen uh, in the early 2000s and just this trend continued, then I think that spurred a lot of this kind of creativity, for better or worse. Um, right. So, for instance, uh, one of the most popular topics in ancient history that metal bands write about is the Spartans. Yeah. And especially, you know, the Battle of Thermopylae. Um, and a lot of songs, you can see the direct. Influence of the film 300.
2: They watched 300, and that's it. Watch 300 and wrote <laughs> yeah. a song like, yeah.
1: and they're reproducing all of the you know historical quote unquote inaccuracies because even Herodotus's original quote unquote original version has its yeah. own biases and distortions. But on uh, the flying snakes, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, <laughs> gold thing again yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so and this is where uh, another aspect that accounts for this phenomenon is, um, you know, in this post 9-11 world or however you want to call it, you know, I'm try, not trying to be America centric here, but uh, right. there's a rise in nationalist movements. Um, okay. And it's just sort of this anxiety among more conservative elements in society um, that and we talked and we touched on this before, where mm. um, you know certain conservative elements in society, you know, are feeling that their these traditional power structures and their culture is being is under threat due to the you know migrations uh, and globalism and multiculturalism and all of that, um, mm. and so they are see, they are finding uh, the they they're finding antiquity. In the ancient past as, you know, sort of a way to retrieve that heritage, um, you know, to some degree, you know, whether if it, it's just pure escapism or it's, you know, uh, you know, a political ideological kind of, um, kind of, uh, kind of uh, impulse
2: there. Um, so you kind of see it, you kind of see it not going anywhere and kind of being explored for better or for worse in that sense.
1: Yeah. Um, because again, um, you know, bands of any
2: political, um,
1: you know, uh, persuasion, you know, find confined relevance in this, in this material. And that's, what's great about classics, uh, and, and ancient history is that it's, it doesn't belong to any particular people or nation or ideology. Um, It's just there. It's Mm. the past. It's a past that has a great influence on the world. Uh, You know, it's created a lot of things. It's destroyed a lot of things. It's been used to justify uh, a lot of bad things, but it's also been used to, uh, you know, to build things that are quite positive. Um, And so, you know, heavy metal I feel is, you know, as a, Medium that is used to to critique the present in its own way more uh directly or not um, you know can really uh take advantage of that material you know it's not just you 're not just singing about the past to glorify the past
2: no you know? you're kind of you're 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 taking it as a lens to view the modern world which is yeah. you know again as somebody who 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 has done it. <laughs> it's like that's what you you do you know and imagine that's a lot of these other bands are doing and even when we touch on irish stuff as well it is kind of like metaphors but on that point right so i don't know how much you can speak to it but what's your opinion on bands like nile who are taking the egyptian approach and then bands like the out in the islamic world who are doing a very similar thing but obviously coming at it from a more Middle Eastern standpoint. Have you looked into that? Is that something that interests you? Uh, and do you think it is pretty much for the same reason that you said it's kind of rejection of what they have now and moving towards uh, their past? Um, <clears throat> I'm glad
1: you brought that up because that's something I'm actually uh, working on. Um, oh,
2: fantastic. We got to stay in touch,
1: man. <laughs>
2: we hey, got to stay in touch, yeah.
1: We will. Um, so I'll first start with... Kind of bands in the islamic world um, right. so for instance there is a band uh i forget what it's called i think is the band called xerxes uh, or the song is about xerxes but there is a a death metal band in iran who uh basically look to their pre-islamic persian uh history as mm a way of rejecting the, the theocracy that they live under.
2: Yeah, there's loads of bands like Seeds of Isplis and uh, yeah. Anilmud and some really good bands who are yeah. doing that and it's, it seems to be a thing that's happening there now more and more.
1: Yeah and what I love about this band is that it is you know a native Iranian slash Persian band that mm-hmm. is presenting the Persian empire in a more sympathetic light as this kind of multicultural, inclusive, um, uh, secular state mm.
0: uh,
1: that it you know that it was. Yes, it you know required people to pay taxes and fight in the army, uh, but <laughs> but hey, that happens modern day, right? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but you know, otherwise, it was quite tolerant of. Yep. Um, all sorts of religions because sure. it had to in order to be a successful multinational you know empire mm. you know and the romans had a very similar model absolutely uh, you no know, until the christians came along and they were a problem because they were intolerant <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but anyway that's a different thing uh, so i love that bands are doing that because the problem is if you only have western bands you know mm singing about the persian wars you know they're gonna going one, to,
2: they're gonna go for the one side their side they're going yeah. to
1: look at the persian empire as this barbarian orientalized other mm. um, you know as a lot of them do especially you know a lot of bands that sing about thermopylae tend to you know present the persian empire as this sort of animalized monolith that is you know stands for everything stands for the opposite of everything that they stand that they stand for, but mm. anyway, Egypt is a interesting thing because you don't really have, as far as I can tell, a lot of native Egyptian bands mm. about ancient Egypt. Yeah, which is surprising. It uh, is. I mean, there's not that many to begin with, although uh, there are some. Um, instead, you have. Western bands, European bands, Amer- North American bands like Nile okay, from mm. South Carolina. And uh, when they sing about Egypt, they don't sing about Egypt as something that is that is an extension of thems- themselves. Mm. Okay, you know, they don't sing about uh, Cleopatra or Nefertiti or Thutmose or Ramses or all of these people as... People they identify with, right? Um, and in fact, uh, one of my colleagues, the person I'm actually uh, collaborating on something with, uh, Leire uh, Olavaria, she's an Egyptologist at uh, in Birmingham.
0: Mm. Um,
1: she wrote a chapter um, on, largely on Nile, uh, for the classical antiquity and heavy metal volume that
2: I mentioned at the beginning of the. That's uh, really the, cool. The yeah, that's cool. I need to uh, definitely got to check that out for and, sure. And
1: uh, what? Uh, what she does in this chapter is she talks about how heavy metal's reception of Egypt is participating in the discourse of orientalism a, really? where it presents yeah. Egypt not as a part of the western you know heritage like Greece and Rome is but mm. rather as this mysterious other yes. a land of mystery and sorcery and sorcery and- danger Uh, of carnal delights uh, Mm. you know of this sort of uh, you know uh, where you have powerful women like Cleopatra and Nefertiti and Nitocris you know who represent these sort of uh, threats to the hierarchy of being and all of that.
2: Right Um, I guess I never thought about that way before but that's actually
1: yeah So, yeah, this fascination to Egypt is sort of this exoticizing, kind of fetishizing sort of thing where, uh, you know, Egypt is not part of our heritage. It is something that is separate that we, you know, we're fascinated with it
2: because it seems so alien to us. Mm, Absolutely. And I think that's, you know. A lot of that's got to do with the modern ancient alien stuff and also Rome itself by being like, hey, we're not like them, even though we come directly from them in lots of ways as well. It's, it's, it's funny in sense. But no, definitely, man, look, I tell you what we're going to do. I've, I've taken up an hour of your time and I do appreciate it. So I think we'll, we'll have to do a follow-up on this if you're, if you're willing to do so where we talk about that because that would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. And just one last thing on the ancient alien stuff. Uh, sure. That stuff is, I mean, that that kind of shows kind of this Orientalism where, you know, the Egyptians couldn't possibly have built the pyramids, <laughs> you know, because, well, why? And the, and the reason is, is it's pretty much racism. Okay? Um, right. You know, uh, only white people could have, or Western civilization could have accomplished these feats and therefore aliens, you know, must've helped them. And the same thing with, you know, the Mayan pyramids and all mm. of that. Uh, so, uh yeah so that's kind of the underlying kind of dark underbelly of this ancient aliens conspiracy stuff is oh wow sort of uh that bad attitude so that's just my piece on that but yes i would love to to come back and chat about more of this stuff this was a fantastic conversation um and uh yeah thanks for having me
2: no worries I've, I've really enjoyed it man it, it's been great you know guys i can't check this out enough you know um it, go over to heavy dot follow dr jeremy j Swist on on twitter uh the metalhead class the heavy metal classist it's it's been an absolute pleasure man this has been great it's any excuse to nerd out about classics and metal is always a lot of fun so uh yeah thank you very much all
1: right have a great night
2: Alright guys, thanks so much for uh, checking this edition of the Metal Dialogues. Again, uh, from my preamble at the beginning of the show, I don't know how often these are going to be. um, If something pops up that I want to talk about, or if uh, some guests want to come on, that's cool too. The rest of the crowd might have something. So no commitment. Uh, The best way to stay in contact, uh, if you do like this stuff, is go over to nairtonomedia.com, like right now. It's all there. All the shows we do... Up on there to know media.com, also on YouTube, uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. So if you like what we do here, if you like the show and want to check out more, even just for another one of these shows, go over, check out all the social media, subscribe to the podcast, and you know, email me, nearethynomedia at gmail.com. What you want to talk about, what you think about this show, there's any metal topics you want me to talk about, um, or even any of the guys, you know, we're all like there's a lot of us who are metal heads uh in there to no know media so um yeah excited to see how this goes forward but again i want to say i want to uh thank you guys for checking this out want to send my sincere thanks to dr jeremy j swist again check him out his pot is uh, he does loads of podcasts and you can find the links to it on his uh his twitter his social media account it's pretty cool his twitter at metal classicist again that's at metal classicist everything he does i think he's, he's given a lecture now on uh on Zoom, which is going to be fun. So uh, do check that out as well if you if you guys um, are interested. And again, his website is heavymetalclassicist.home.blog. So again, thank you so much, guys. This has been the first edition of The Metal Dialogues. Talk to you the next show. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.